Hello, and welcome to the Cherry Beckard's GovCon podcast, where we discuss current government contracting trends, compliance matters, and best practices to guide federal contractors forward. I'm Brendan Halloran, a senior manager with Cherry Beckard, and with me today is Eric Poppy, a managing director in Cherry Beckard's Government Contractor Services Group. As part of our ongoing series on GovCon compliance topics, today we'll be talking about incurred cost submissions. Thanks for joining me today, Eric. Thanks, Brendan. Happy to be talking about one of our favorite topics. Yes, it is getting to be that time of the year, <laughs> so, um, which leads me into, um, you know, why uh, why are we talking about incurred cost submissions? And you know, um, for those who are not familiar, I mean, essentially, what the what an incurred cost submission um, is the first step in developing final indirect cost rates for application to contractors that have flexibly priced contracts. And so, um, kind of jokingly about the the timeline, um, they are due six months after the end of the fiscal year. So, um, with you know probably the majority of contractors being on the calendar year for their fiscal year, June 30th is um, you know is really kind of the you know the the deadline for for many folks. And so, um, we're obviously seeing a lot of activity and um, talking a lot about our clients and uh, helping them with theirs. And so, it's um, you know I think a good good time to uh, just put some reminders out for it. Um, in terms of, you know, when, you know, when is it a requirement? I mean, essentially, um, you know, if a contractor has flexibly priced contracts with, um, you know, with FAR 52-216-7, the allowable costs and payment clause in any of their contracts, um, that is a requirement that you complete the uh, incurred cost submission process. So um, certainly um, we'll get into a little bit of the detail about what goes um, into that and, um, you know, further, you know, what the government does once that's submitted and how you arrive at final rates. Uh, but ultimately, you know, once you get into the, um, you know, supporting work on, you know, flexibly priced cost reimbursable contracts is, you know, this should be on your radar screen and something that you are, you know, planning for um, and certainly um, starting ahead of time if you can. Um, so just in general, Eric, I know there's a, a lot of um, a lot of ins and outs and details, but, you know, what's what's kind of the, the basics on, you know, it, you know, preparing an ICS and, and what does that involve? Yeah, that, uh that's a great question. And, and to your point, preparing and trying to start the process earlier than later is always a best practice. You know, I feel like everyone is um, or a lot of people procrastinate and wait till June to start this process. Um, but, the you know, the earlier that you can start to collect the data, uh, the easier it is, especially if you're a larger organization. So, I, you know, the ICS is kind of broken up into two parts. Beginning section and schedules are your 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 uh, schedules related to your indirect rates. The second set, the latter schedules are related to more of your contract costs. So, you know, to put that together, then the two combine together to create your indirect rates, and then you apply those rates to your contracts all in a submission. And then there are some administrative, more administrative schedules as well. Um, so, to prepare for the ICS, you usually need to start with that final trial balance or the statement of indirect expense that's coming from your accounting system. Um, using that, you generate your rate pools on you know, schedules A through E, which then shows the pool in the base summary. Uh, using those uh, indirect rates, you're then calculating the base amount based off of schedule or contract inputs that's on schedule H and summarize on other schedules. 
and those then come together to create a final indirect rate. This all is then used to then um, be applied to and compared to cumulative billings at a contract or level or task order level, and that is compared on Schedule I. Now, other uh, other sets of information that you might need is contract information, um, contract documents and briefs. Um, it is optional to submit contract briefs, uh, but you need to know if there are any caps on indirect rates that you need to apply. You need to be able to identify invoices at a contract or task order level and do that in a cumulative nature, which is always sometimes harder than it sounds, um, especially if you don't have a system that's set up for pure government contracting, because uh, you need to be able to show uh, cumulative hours, rates, or not rates, indirect costs, cumulative non-labor costs, uh, you know, all together to be able to compare and have apples to apples. Uh, and then you also need to have executive compensation and be able to report that on supplemental schedule B, which is something that's optional, but it's always asked for. So, you know, with that, the allowable cost and payment clause outlines what schedules are required. You know, it does not say anything about using the ICE model, uh, but, you know, the ICE model is a very common um, format that DCA has published that companies can use. Um, but, you know, you do are not required to submit that, uh, but it is something that you can use as kind of that benchmark. So a lot of different inputs kind of to summarize. You have the indirect rate inputs, the contract inputs, um, the billing inputs, and then some miscellaneous items that all come together. Yeah, and uh, I know it can be, you know, quite the um, compilation, you know, for for some contractors, depending on, you know, what their what their contract load is. So, um, and you know, I know, I think that some folks, you mentioned the the ICE model um, that DCA prefers, you know, that um, that they be submitted on. <clears throat> you know, I think some folks find it uh, as a good guide, and you know, I think others. Um, you know, struggle with it to a certain degree as well. So um, I think a mixed um, mixed feedback, I think, that we get um, on that. But um, it is a good starting point, at least for um, getting up to speed with what it involves and, and for folks who, you know, perhaps haven't had to go through the process. Very true. Very true. Yeah. So we're just going to just talk a little bit about, you know, um, you know, there's always, you know, the, you know, pretty heavy lift of getting you know, getting the submission together. Um, and again, we mentioned, you know, the timeline, you know, being six months after your uh, fiscal year ends. And so, you know, it certainly is, um, you know, quite a, an exercise getting that together. It is something that, you know, is certified to um, when it is submitted to the government. So certainly, you know, once you, you know, finish that, um, you know, you do want to be, you know, quite certain um, that you've um, that you've done your due diligence and, and review process. Um, we always talk about, you know, things like, you know, what are you doing for unallowable cost scrubs and, you know, any of those um, kind of tools that you're using to ensure that, you know, what you are submitting, you know, potentially for audit, um, you know, is not going to, um, you know, trigger, um, you know, trigger further, uh, further review or potentially question costs. So um, I know in terms of, you know, current timeline, you know, and, and again, we're kind of broadly speaking here to, you know, DCA being, you know, the the cognizant or responsible 
audit agency and there may be um, maybe others depending on who your government customers are and, and some of those are now being um, performed by third party auditors contracted by DCAA. But, you know, essentially once you submit that, you know, it's always good to get, um, you know, your adequacy uh, determination. That should be the first thing that DCA or, or whoever the um, audit group is, you know, they should be reviewing that making sure that everything you know reconciles and that you meet you know all the basic requirements um so that is kind of the starting you know the starting point for the timeline and then you know um i think that we've seen you know you've seen it go both ways where you know dca can review that um you know for risk and in some cases um, you know, some incurred cost submissions are deemed low risk and put in the low risk pool so that, you know, you're actually not subject to the full um, audit program. So um, there's a number of factors there, um, certainly magnitude of contract dollars um, and costs and, you know, what your history is. You know, if a contractor has, you know, been through audit before and there's been no issues or question costs, that can certainly be a factor um, that they utilize there. Um, or if you have not been audited in, you know, two to three years, you know, you might be more likely to, you know, be subject to that. So, um, you know, for preparation, you know, that timeline, you know, if an audit were to start is, you know, you certainly um, want to have, you know, resources available and be prepared to support that um, because there is, you know, um, it can be quite a intensive effort to um, kind of support the the duration of that. Um, yeah. One thing to add, and I know now you have the portal that you're submitting to as well. So that's uh, versus previously emailing or submitting to your contact. Now, now you have that portal. Yeah. Yeah, and just one thing, I won't spend too much time on it, but, you know, you know, we talked a little bit about the, you know, the timeline that's required by FAR for um, submitting that. And, you know, there are instances where, you know, you may have, you know, extenuating circumstances and need, you know, to get a, um, you know, get an extension on that. That is something, there's a process for that that you can work with your ACO on, although that's <clears throat> not something that is, you know, that common. Um, so they do need to be able to kind of cite why, um, you know, specifically why you might need additional time. Um, you know, and then the other question we get to quite a bit is, you know, well, what happens if I don't, if I don't submit? Well, you know, by the regulation, you know, the Cognizant ACO could potentially unilaterally determine, you know, your, your final indirect cost rate. So, um, again, that's a very, um, you know, I don't, very uncommon uh, event, and I think you would really have to, um, you know, aggravate uh, the situation, you know, for it to um, to get to that point. But, you know, to answer the question, you know, what if you don't potentially, you know, you could be on the receiving end of a final rate determination that you don't have much input into? Pretty aggressive stance, but yep, that can happen. Yeah, yeah. So what are some of the, um, you know, issues I know um, we prepare incurred cost submissions for a lot of clients and certainly advise on many. And <clears throat> Eric, I know you've um, probably seen all sorts, mm -hmm. but you know, what are some of the what are some of the common issues and and things that um, you know that that folks run into um, with preparing those? So you know, you're right. Like we've seen, I feel like every issue under the sun and every ICS season something new pops up but one of the basic ones that always seems to uh, pop up is um you know just 
you know, DCAA puts out an adequacy checklist that is public and going through that, you can use that as a way to prepare. But items that are inconsistent to the adequacy checklist is a very simple pitfall. You know, schedules, schedule A not tying to the the pool amounts not tying to the what's on the detailed rate schedules or on schedule E or um, you know the number some very common ones too from a formatting standpoint you know missing um, not having ex explanatory notes where you have an adjustment uh, I've seen honestly I've seen ICS is kicked back because of formatting issues uh, before but you know it's usually very simple things a lot of times why things are kicked back that you have say three indirect rates but only two are being shown on schedule a or you're not showing at the level of detail that's required for that adequacy checklist one common one that we see is inconsistent number of contracts that you have just to make up numbers 30 contracts on schedule h and you have 40 on schedule I, yeah. or yeah. you have a different amount of TNM contracts on Schedule K versus Schedule H versus Schedule I. So just having a consistent number going across. Um, so a lot of, you know, we we see some very common, you know, this, the underlying accounting records don't tie to uh, the trial balance that's included as the basis in the um, in the indirect rate schedules. Um, <clears throat> we see sometimes that it can be harder to accumulate all of the uh, invoice data that is necessary. So showing the invoice number and showing what the cumulative build amount is and having that on a comparative level. Um, one common one is, you know, you, you need to be able to, you need to show credits that are given to invoices and apply an indirect rate cap. So you do that typically on Schedule I, but there can be a lot of things like that that pop up. Um, but you know, when when you're preparing for the ICS and our the basic advice usually holds true here too. Start as early as you can. As soon as you're if you're waiting for an audit trial balance, um, once that TB is finalized, you can get going and you can get you know 80% of the work done. Uh, start as early as you can. Use the adequacy checklist because that's a very good um, just good way to review your work and kind of see what the guardrails are for the ICS. Um, going through and having someone else review it, making sure all the uh, all the schedules tick and tie and flow through like they're supposed to. Having explanatory notes where you're required to have them. You know, a couple things that we, again, you're always going to be typically asked for executive compensation, so have those ready. Um, contract briefs and some of those other supplemental schedules, you know, Depends on who you ask, but some people say give everything. Some people say hold it back. Mm -hmm. I think it is an organization. You got to pick, you know, what is your risk tolerance and what is your relationship to your, you know, the the auditing agency, if it's a third party or if it's DCAA, figure out what you want to submit. But, you know, it's, it's different for every organization. Um, and then the other is ask questions. And, yeah. you know, if it's Ask, talk with your accountants, talk with your consultants, call us. We're happy to be a sounding board on the incurred cost. But um, to prepare, really just starting early and collect the documentation and um, it's and go through the exercise. Yeah, no, those are a lot of great points, Eric. And there's a couple, um, too, that, that you um, pointed out that just want to highlight. You know, you mentioned, you know, the adequacy checklist, which is, you know, available and what the auditor or DCA would actually be utilizing. So that's 
you know, a really simple tool to, you know, go through and, and double check, um, you know, before you submit. So something that's available, um, you know, that that we always do and encourage um, folks to utilize. And then you mentioned too, you know, having good explanatory notes and adjustments schedule. And, you know, I know we've run into um, in the past where, you know, where a company has, you know, potentially significant adjustments where, you know, they are shifting things out, um, you know, and if you don't really highlight that for audit, you know, you have the potential where, you know, they could, um, you know, actually question something, you know, where in fact you've already taken it into account, um, but it can cause you, you know, a lot of kind of back and forth and, um, you know, trying to explain and support, um, you know, that something was already um, you know, was already accounted for. So don't hesitate to, you know, really kind of expand on that and highlight that too, um, you know, as part of your submission and to audit, because, um, you know, that's a lot of that work has already been done. You just need to make sure that you're getting credit for it on, on what you're submitting. Well, that's a really good point. And uh, so a lot of times people or companies go a little bit vaguer or leave a lot less detail in those explanatory notes. Well, then, there's sometimes a question and then the ICS might be deemed inadequate versus if you, you know, took a little bit more time to write a little bit more of a thorough response, you know, you can at least then get the ICS to be considered adequate and then get to the audit phase. The audit phase is, you know, that's a different beast in itself, but um, the big piece is, you know, first check mark is submit, then it's next hurdle is get it deemed adequate because then it could be lower, yeah. you know, low risk, and then you don't have to worry about it, yeah. or then get to audit. And that, again, that can take on its own. And there you're talking about testing and allowability and uh, and such. You know, when you were talking there, it made me, re- reminded me of a different pitfall that I did not mention that I think it's worth taking the time to. You know, ICSs build on each other. If contracts, sometimes, a lot mm-hmm. of times are five-year contracts. And so you might have a contract that's on that schedule on the ICS for multi-years. The prior year costs need to roll through, need to roll forward to this year's submission. So mm. sometimes ICSs are uh, deemed inadequate because this year doesn't match last year for the final claimed cost and the adjustments. So, you know, sometimes it's just a simple, it didn't roll over correctly. But when you were talking, that made me um, think of that that pitfall as well. Yeah, yeah, no, that's another another one that we um, see, and, and it's certainly you know one of the probably one of the early steps that will be done. You know, is you know kind of going back and and looking at you know your prior uh, prior submissions. So, you know, I think that there's you know just a lot of um, a lot of areas where you know starting that process early, establishing you know kind of your process to ensure that you've got the right inputs and you've got a good review process. Um, you know, are really just, you know, as with most things, are, are really good, um, you know, kind of diligence matters that um, that contractors can can take care of. True. Yeah. Well, I know that we could uh, likely spend uh, a number of hours talking about <laughs> uh, incurred cost submissions, but, um, you know, it really can get into the weeds and, uh, you know, and, and that's sometimes what what needs to happen to to really get those sorted out and, and submitted properly. But um, certainly if you have uh, any questions, um, certainly reach out to either Eric at epoppy at cbh.com or myself, uh, brendan.halloran at cbh.com. Um, thanks for joining us and uh, please join us again for our next podcast.